Good afternoon and welcome to Books in the Biz. I am the biz part, Dan Paulson. I am joined by the books part, Rich Veltre. And we got some interesting stuff to talk about today because I don't know if any of you saw in the news. You probably, I think everyone heard about it, Rich, because it was kind of all over the place. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't exactly taken positive, I guess. So, uh, you know, uh, here's where politicians seem to have their head in the sand and sometimes maybe don't realize what's going on. But uh, both Rich and I, after our, our last week's meeting, we were kind of looking at, well, what, what should we talk about? And that was about the time Bidenomics came out. Bidenomics, kind of like Reaganomics, except worse. That's kind of what I took from it, Rich. But uh, yeah. you are definitely the financial expert. So I'm going to I'm going to follow your lead on this one. I kind of took the reins last time, but this time I want to hear what the finance guy has to say about Bidenomics and why we should care. Yeah. So well, take always, it away, sir. Yeah. I always find it interesting that, you know, we get a new president and the omics just changes to that president's name, omics, Reaganomics, Clintonomics, whatever, you know. Go back and just rechange any of these, you know, uh, names and just that's what we do now. You know, um, the thing is, I always have a problem when these things come out because the government can't do anything in a short term, you know, in a short term effect. Everything becomes a long process and everything is we'll pay for it later. And so it becomes really difficult to kind of drill down into what. Bidenomics even is, you know, everybody just assumes, well, well he on, did all this stuff. It's on the website, Rich. It's on mm -hmm. the website. It uh, is the best piece of word salad you're going to get. Yeah. You know, it's, it's doing things from the middle out and the bottom up, which mm -hmm. means what? It means, I don't know, <laughs> to me, to me, it means nothing. To me, it means nothing. Okay. What I, what I did see is, you know, there are things on the internet. Okay. Cause I blame the media a little bit because I'm looking at it and saying, you want to push it a certain way, you're going to do that. You know, and as much as you want to say you're down the middle and you're, you know, not influencing, you're a writer and you're a person. So your, your influence is going to be what your beliefs are. So I get trouble going through some of the media sometimes because I'm trying to read and get some kind of factual backup for what they're saying. And, you know, there was an article out there that was talking about Bidenomics and what, you know, they're building this on talking about, you know, uh, low unemployment. You're talking about, you know, job growth. You're talking about, um, you know, these kind of mainstay things and they're bringing these up because we're heading into an election. Okay. A lot of it comes into the push is look at all the great things he's doing. What did he do? And I've always asked this. I asked the same thing about Trump. I asked the same thing about, you know, Obama before that, Bush before that. You know, what did he do? OK, because most of these things don't happen overnight. So did the job growth, you know, come about because of, you know, something that the current administration did, the prior administration did? Or is it all Jeff Bezos who's just hiring everybody to run around drive trucks? <laughs> It okay. might just be Jeff Bezos. I think it might I would be say, Jeff Bezos. Yeah, I would say some of that, though, um, the numbers are, are falsified greatly. Yeah. And I'm not saying this being left or being right, but when you kind of force 
companies to shut down over a period of two to six months because of a certain pandemic that was going on, which, you know, we can argue was it good or was it bad. I have no idea. But a lot of the job growth that happened was the recovery of those businesses being allowed to open back up. And I've, I have more than once seen the Biden administration take, uh, you know, pat themselves on the back for phenomenal gro- job growth. If you look at our last president, you know, his jobs were in the tank. Well, his jobs were only in the tank in the last yeah. few months of his presidency because, again, of, of the policies that were out at the yeah. time. So I agree with you in a lot of ways. You know, economics is, is a much longer runway, uh, but there seem to be these short impacts that can definitely transform things yeah um but it's kind of interesting when when you really come down to economic policy of a government i don't know if it really changes that much from left versus right does it do you see any any differences really yeah i'm trying to figure out how we can write if i had to write an article today okay how would i write the article that the influence of the government is influencing employment Okay. I like, they all take credit for employment. What did you do? Mm -hmm. And I can't find it. Like I can't necessarily find that one thing that they did that says this is influencing employment. And again, this is not a Biden thing. This is every president does it. Every single, it doesn't matter. Republican Democrat doesn't matter. They all take a hold of that stat. Okay. Which as you kind of alluded to, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a phony stat. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, give me the true number of how many people are out of work. Don't take out the people that, well, you know, they just decided to stop looking. <laughs> they're unemployed. Exactly. Whether they chose to or not, they're unemployed. But they take that number out and then all of a sudden numbers look better. And then everybody grabs on to this is a great this is a great stat for me going into an election year. You're not helping me out and telling me what's really going on here, right? You're you're basically giving me something that gives me hope, but you know I know where hope gets me. As I I often say, hope is not a strategy. Hope she is, is my wife. She is my wife, but she is not a strategy. She <laughs> might argue differently, but that's for another another episode at another time. Yeah. Uh, you know, you touched on unemployment mm-hmm. and how the government has. I would say limited impact, uh, obviously, unless there's some sort of, you know, you need to shut down all your businesses type thing. Um, what what are you really seeing out there from your end? I know on, on the operations side, I have, for as much as inflation has increased and for as many people as I have that are complaining about costs of, of hiring and everything else, I am still seeing jobs sit empty. I I am seeing a ton of people out there that are looking to fill positions or keep and retain the the employees they got. And it just doesn't seem to be any easier now than it was three or four years ago. What's been your experience on it? Um, I I have come across enough to be telling people to realize that we have to fill the void that seems to be stopping the people who are looking for the jobs and the people who are, you know, looking for people to fill a job. So I see this kind of chasm in there where some reason they're not communicating. Like I see people like I have my resume on Indeed or I have my resume on Monster or any of these other places. And, you know, I don't I don't hear from anybody. 
Well, did you go and find out if you can go direct? I mean, but they're not doing that. So then the people who are doing direct, you go to them. My son is 16 years old and he wants to mm -hmm. get his first summer job. So he goes to Starbucks. Okay. And not to bash Starbucks. Okay. It's just, this is the way it went. So I apologize if I used a, a name, okay. Um, but a coffee company, he walks into Starbucks into the, into the store that's closest to home. He could practically walk there if you really had to, we'll give him a ride, but, <laughs> but he walks in, this is where he wants to work. He wants to work at Starbucks. The people inside the store say, Oh, thank God. We need more people. They say, but you have to apply online. Okay. He did that weeks ago. Did he hear from him? No. Nope. But the store says we're looking for people. Where did the where did his application go? You know? And now take that from the 16-year-old is looking for just a summer job and translate that to the same thing with everybody else. They're not getting that through that. You know, it's got to go to corporate. It's got to go to HR. It's got if if that's the case, no wonder you can't find anybody because they've moved on by now, because they don't need to wait six months for a job. They're looking for something now that they could do during the summer. You know, and that's so the what cheapest labor. Dynamics is going to to do about this because this is interesting. This is not anything that a government, let alone, do you want a government agency creating a website to try and match up employers with employees because. A, it'll take 10 years to do. B, it's going to cost 20 times as much as it should. C, when they launch it, it's not going to work. If anyone remembers the healthcare website, <laughs> that's kind of how, how things work around here. So yeah, what, it, what do you think Bidenomics would be hanging their hat on about helping basically middle class people get employed? Um, I haven't really seen much other than, again, the word salad about they're going to, you know, try to spur job growth, but where are they going to do it? And are there actually openings in the areas that they're talking about? I mean, in my world, if you are in the trades, construction, plumbing, electrical, concrete work, masonry, anything, you could pretty much write your check because those guys are struggling to find enough help to build the buildings that are still going up despite what the uh, the interest rates are right now. Um, I don't see them putting money towards those types of jobs. Do you? No. Um, I think, you know, like you said, usually I think this comes down to the way that Biden could take real credit for it is if there was something to do with the payroll taxes, right? Or the mm. something that's directly employee related. The cost of the employee shrinks in some way and that is an incentive to say okay i can bring people in at a couple dollars more or i can make a decision that i can bring more people on when i was basically keeping everything really tight um that i could see as being a direct correlation the one thing i have to mention here though is there was one piece of what i was researching for today's call you know one piece that i'm very happy about is the fact that it really looks like and it's kind of got twofold piece to it. Um, it feels like one of the things that he did early in his presidency was passing these incentives for factory building and for green energy and for um, solar or, or um, not solar, it'll come to me, but uh, 
<clears throat> you know, he had all these things that he passed, okay, or they passed with him signing them, okay, that will spur jobs in the future because we've doubled construction of factory in, in a matter of 15 months. He's doubled the manufacturing facility expansion, which I think you and I had talked about in the past. This is one of the things that we really hope for because the, the issue that came about under Trump when he kind of was dealing with the pandemic and we wound up with that whole supply chain shortage, mm -hmm. I think everybody's light bulbs went off saying, this is why we can't necessarily rely on one place overseas exactly. to do everything for us. Well, and then during the pandemic, you had all the ports you know, filled up with ships that couldn't get unloaded and there were ships waiting out in the bay. Exactly. Um, you know, there there is a challenge when you're sourcing everything from overseas. And I think that's, you're right, that's where we've seen more either reshoring here in the U.S. or bringing it to places like Mexico or Canada, where instead of worrying about a, a ship bringing it in, you can drive it across the border, which is a lot easier in many ways. Right. And the only thing that I have to add to that is that, you know, there's a short term versus long term argument, right? There's a long term effect of that. And it goes right back to what we started talking about when we first opened the, the podcast, you know, is a long term effect. Government signed a law in 2001. OK, we're in 2003 and we're just seeing that finally it's doubled in construction costs. But we know those things take a couple of years. OK. Mm -hmm. So what happens if if Biden doesn't get reelected? OK, does the next president take credit for it? <laughs> right. I, I mean, would say yes. And that probably things probably. Right. But the but the job growth supposedly is to put people in those factories. I hope we have the workers for it. But, you know, I think that it's a good start because I think it means we have to rebuild supply chain within the U S yes, we have to, you know, we have to, you know, we have allies and we have all this political side of it, international side of it, you know, but you know, it, it has to start at home. That it does. And that's, that's really, I think where we're going to struggle uh, you know, as we look at the economics thing, you, you brought up the factory building. So I believe that was the infrastructure bill you were talking about there. Correct. Um, lots of money poured into, I don't know if it's actually trickled down far enough, but it was, you know, there was lots of money allocated for uh, bringing factories back home, primarily microchips, because I think that was the biggest shortage at the time is yeah. we didn't have enough for computers. We didn't have enough for cars. We didn't have enough for anything. And that was driving costs up, plus the risk of having all your chip development either in China or in Taiwan. And that, as we're finding out, is becoming a, a bit more volatile over there. If that goes away, what do you do? Yeah. We are a chip-driven society. Everything, yeah. my toaster runs on computer chips. On now, chip. You know, things change. And while all that that's good for big business, you know, he's talking about the the middle out and the bottom up. Yeah. Average business size, I think, what, 80, 85% of businesses have 10 employees or less. How are they getting any benefit through Bidenomics? Because if they're really focused on middle out, bottom up, you would think you would target the 
85 percent of of companies out there that really do need help like you said they could use money to pay people a couple more dollars an hour because that would help them attract talent in that typically goes to places like Amazon because Amazon can pay a higher wage or Apple or Intel. You know, everyone wants to make more money. The guy's probably not going to work at the mom and pop shop real long if he's making a couple bucks above minimum wage when he can go across the street to maybe a larger company and make $15, $20 an hour. How do you see any of these policies really going to help with that? Uh, currently, I don't. <laughs> I think I think that it's you know I'm looking for that direct correlation, and I don't I don't see it. You know, I almost I almost want to say, isn't what we just described still top down? We're just not calling it top down. You know, as we said, we're we're incentivizing people to build factories here. Okay, well, like you said. 10 person, you know, 10 person company not building a factory. Correct. Absolutely not. Um, and they're not even going to benefit from being able to use that factory more than likely, you know, mm-hmm. unless we now train those people to, you know, oh yeah, you're going to, you know, use that factory as sort of your outsourced manufacturing facility, but then the big guy got even more benefit. So, you know, I'm struggling to, to, to call it that, you know, we're, we're building it out from the middle. You know, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying to believe that we're on the right path. Um, you know, but I think, you know, the world's just a crazy different place after the pandemic and trying to figure itself out and deal with other issues like, you know, inflation and do we have inflation? Is it really that way? Is the real estate market really tanking? One person says it's tanking. The next person says interest rates just went up a full point. And guess what? They're still buying houses. Okay. So who's right? It's not tanking because people are still coming up with a way to buy the house at the higher price. Yeah. You know? So so you try to start anticipating where's the disaster going to happen? You know, something's going to happen that either we didn't expect or we missed. Happens. Right? Yeah. But, you know, they're going to keep raising interest rates, I heard this morning. You know, yeah, I they're they're talking the about what another two to three more times yet this year, even though yeah. they skipped last month and, and didn't raise them then. Yeah. Um, and this is what I've been talking with a lot of my clients about because they're all they're always asking me, well, Dan, what do you think is going to happen? And if I had a crystal ball, yeah. we wouldn't be sitting here. I'd be sitting on an island somewhere and, and raking in the money. But <laughs> um, you know, I said, well, based on my research, here's the problem we have: we we don't have enough employees for jobs. We're still at about a 5 million deficit based on number of job openings versus number of employees. Two, we don't have the, the employees trained for the right jobs that are open. So a lot of those jobs are going to sit open for a long time, if ever filled, because the people that you're looking at, just their talent pool doesn't correlate with that. So if Bidenomics was really going to do something for the middle out and top, bottom up, it would be creating more incentives, more programs to help get people training. You know, they talk about education forgiveness, student loan forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that's not helpful because it's not helping. We can go into a whole nother discussion about how we need to teach people economics and teach people how to manage money again. But that's another story for another day. But you have kids coming out of school thinking that there's only one solution here, and that's that solution is going to four-year college. I will tell almost anyone right now that might have been true back when I went to school. But right now I would look at and say, 
I would seriously consider trades. Uh, I think there's things you can do in business and technology that don't require four-year degrees that you know people will pay to train you. You'll learn on the job. You'll make money while you're learning. Um, there's apprenticeship programs that can, again, could be paid. Why can't we funnel more money into that and, and put incentives in place for companies to hire employees, help pay for their training, um, you know, maybe offset their income uh, costs by a certain amount. I mean, they've done enough tax credits for other reasons. Why not put in place a tax credit where if you hire an employee, you have to pay them at this wage, and we will offset that wage through a tax credit by half their half their salary or whatever it might be. Incentivize people to go out and find these people who are are fit, able, and can work, and really put the wages back at where it is a a good employee rate. Um, now, from the economic side, well, how does that benefit the government? You now have employees that are working that are collecting wages that you can tax, <laughs> where if they're not working, they're not collecting wages. Instead, they're using benefits that are provided by the government to allow them to sustain a living. Right. So to me, that's really where, from an operation side, let's give these companies some, if we're going to spend the money, let's give these companies some help. Now we can again, go into a discussion, where's this money going to come from? Because right. if it comes out of thin air, we all saw what happened over the last couple of years because of that. We don't see inflation going down. And we also don't see a situation where we're ever going to be able to fill these jobs with enough people living here. So when when people were asking me about that, I, I would say, well, you you don't want the results of of getting the employment level to where the jobs can be filled because that would require a very bad recession or a depression to finally get to that level. And I think you would you would agree there. I mean, if, if there's just not enough people to fill the positions, by the time you equalize that out, inflation would be through the roof and we would be in serious, serious pain. And they're still talking about raising rates, as you pointed out. Yep. Yep. I don't. Yeah, I don't want to see that. <laughs> <at all. laughs> Neither um, do I. But I think you're. <laughs> I think you're 100 percent accurate and you're you're hitting that same point, you know, that, you know. This trickle down thing. Is is I think sometimes I can see it working, sometimes again, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence with the two of those, you know, basically saying that, because I think that the more targeted you can be, the better. Mm -hmm. Um. So I think that if you want job growth and you want credit for job growth, then deal with the jobs. Don't build a factory, you know, build a factory because in the long term, it's a good thing to do. Bring the factories home. OK, but if you're talking about it trickling down to jobs then you're still talking about trickling down. Right. So you're still, you know, you're, you're basically saying we don't do that, you know, because this whole this whole thing becomes a political left and right. It becomes a, well, you do that and we don't do that, but they're doing the same thing. It doesn't matter who's in charge. They do the same thing and they keep mm -hmm. spending. Okay. No one ever attacks the spending. They try to, they put, you know, big things on that. Oh yeah. We, you know, we came to a deal on the debt ceiling, you know, which allows people to keep spending money, which only <laughs> builds more debt. And, you know, I think I saw somebody projected out in the next 20 years, we'll get to $54 trillion oh. in debt, which is $3.24 trillion a year in interest. 
And it was a few short years ago. That was the entire budget. And we were still spending over that. (laughs) You know, I mean, somewhere along the line, someone's got to realize that's not sustainable. You've gotten lucky. Okay. Because what happens is you spend your budget and, and this is a mentality. Maybe this is another conversation, but you know, the mentality becomes, well, you spend your budget or they take it away from you next year. And, and, um, you know, I don't think that, can um, you hear me? Yeah, there we go. Okay. We'll, we'll pause there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, you know, you, you spend your budget or you lose it next year. And in these cases, these guys are kind of doing the same thing. It's like, I have a budget of a trillion dollars. I'm going to go spend a trillion dollars. And then an emergency comes up and they say, well, guess what? I'm going to spend $2 trillion because that's an emergency. Okay. Well, that's debt. Okay. And somewhere along the line, you have to pay that back first. Nobody does that. You know, that was a one-time, you know, mistake. We didn't have that budgeted. And, you know, I have to assume, okay, let me take one step back and give you one caveat. I've been trying to figure out government... I've been trying to figure out government accounting for years. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm so glad I did not go into government accounting. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I just see it as though, you know, look, if you have a budget of $5 trillion, okay, you can't spend 20. And then next year say, well, that was a mistake. We'll just do better this year. And this kick the can down the road thing just keeps happening. It's been happening since I was a kid. So, you know, we did the same thing with the debt ceiling. We kicked the can down the road and no one's paying attention to that. And so where are we getting any kind of Bidenomics? I I really don't necessarily want to give him credit other than the long term, I think, is smart with the factories, regardless of the trickle down part of it. That's not why I think it's smart. I think it's smart because... You know, there were things we couldn't get. You hit the pandemic. The ships are stuck in outside Los Angeles. Everybody's taking pictures of them. Hey, look at all the ships. That's great. Okay. But that's all the stuff you need that's no longer here. Right. Yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, I mean, what would you tell a company nowadays as far as what's, you know, what's really going to affect them? I I mean, for me, it seems like the biggest issues that we need to address are, you know, we, we've still got to get strong wages to hire the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, companies still have to focus on how to retain those folks. And a lot of the methods that they use are not not good. They don't work. Mm-hmm. Um, they spend a lot of money on it, but it doesn't produce the results that they need. So there's there's situations where they really need to to get more focused on you know, how to worry about their own operations instead of how the government could potentially help them. Yeah. Um, you know, as as much as I would like to see the incentives we're talking about, I really don't see that happening, though that that I believe, in, especially in election year, would be very powerful. Um, you know, if you're putting incentives towards uh, getting people employed and, and helping offset some of that labor costs, it's going to be very strong, strong push for you. I think whether you're you're Democrat or Republican in that 
this reflection. Um, yeah, but that's really not not what I see happening here. I, I I see a lot of talk. I see a lot of word salad, and I think companies are just going to have to you know tighten up their bootstraps, figure out how to pay people more, or offer better incentives, and more importantly, offer better training and coaching for a generation that has grown up with that. Um, you know, we've talked about this in the past, and and I think you know as you look at it from the financial side, what are companies doing to focus on workplace culture and, and, and increasing employee wages and, and increasing employee training that, you know, maybe they're not putting that money there because the only other solution is automation. And it's probably a combination of both you have to do. You're going to have to automate some things because you're just not going to be able to fill the positions. And the other side is you're going to have to, you know, put yourself in a position where you can retain your best talent and make sure they're not looking elsewhere. Um, yeah, I think the I think the key words there that I picked up on was company culture. I think it's not always the dollars that um, will get the people to stay and get the people happy and get them productive. I think sometimes there's other pieces that have to go into that. And company culture comes into a big play. You know, when I'm working for somebody I really like, I'm not out looking for the next two dollars because I don't know what that's going to bring me on the other side. So, you know, I basically look at any employees that I know personally that are, you know, talking to me directly. You know, I I say, do you like your job? You know, I mean, that's that's a big piece of it, I think. I don't think, you know, I have a, I have a 24 year old daughter and she, you know, is looking for a job because she doesn't like the culture at the job she's got. Mm -hmm. Makes sense to me. Makes total sense <laughs> to me. There's no reason to sit there and not be happy. I mean, you have to do, you know, you have to do the job. It's work. Right. And, you know, I think, but other than that, I think she, you know, she has it right. If the company culture doesn't feel right, move on. There's plenty yep. of jobs out there. There's plenty of people looking for qualified help. So take the take the leap. It's worth it. Um, well, especially in this seller's market, it is because you yeah. you are all at least for the foreseeable future, you are going to have more jobs available than you have people to fill them. So you will yeah. be able to pick and choose. You're just going to have to work at it. I don't think it's going to fall in your lap. And that's where yeah. you know the Monster.com, Indeed, and all those sites is great to post out there, but. I think we can agree that neither side is really actively looking. They're just hoping that yeah. the machine is essentially going to spit out a qualified candidate into their lap and then they just make a call and they make a hire. Yeah. So, um, but I think that between, you know, I think it is going to come down to some level of creativity too. And I think, I think it's actually easier. I could be, I could be going way out on a limb here when I say this, but, um, I think it'd actually be easier for a 10 person firm rather than a 50 or hundred person firm, because the 10 person firm, everybody generally knows everybody from bottom to top. When mm -hmm. you get to the 50 to hundred, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have the ability to just walk in the CEO's office, you know, it becomes a little harder when you get a little bigger. So I think the creativity is what I'm looking for. I'm looking to see who's being creative with how they're keeping their people happy. So they're, so they're staying. So they're not joining the ranks of all the people looking for other people. You know, they have people that have worked for them for a long time. They're loyal. You find a way to reward the loyalty and, and, you know, as long as they're doing a good job, 
you know, then you're, you're getting what you need. The challenge is going to be finding that, uh, that ability to grow in your position. You know, it, when you're talking about a 10 person company, there, there's not a lot of vertical movement that goes on. So in many cases, the job you're in today will be the job you're in two years from now and potentially the job you're in 10 years from now. Not always true, but, you know, different companies grow at different paces. So yeah. if your company is kind of a slow growth, steady eddy, you won't have to worry about getting fired, but you're also going to be doing the same thing you've been doing. I think that becomes a deterrent for a lot of younger people. And that's where they're going to have to figure out how to keep that job fresh and engaging and not just the same old mundane stuff, because that's really where you lose people. Yeah. So trying to find ways to either provide more autonomy or opportunities for growth or looking for your team to spur maybe the growth instead of just relying on it from the top down, which a lot of small companies do. It's the owner driving the, the business and, and not the staff. So that's where it's really going to be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, um, I can see that. I, I can understand that. I think, I think that's where I'm looking for that creative idea that I haven't seen before. Yeah, you know, just I think there's got to be some innovator out there, and it could be anybody, right? That's just going to say, "Oh, we should try this," and it just becomes viral. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, but I don't, I don't really have the true answer there because I think you're always going to have, you know, conflicting employee goals. You know, you bring somebody on, you train them, you do everything you can for that person somewhere along the line. If you don't have that level of growth, there was nothing you could do about it. It was going to happen um, because that person just eventually will grow out of what, what you have. Um, the only good thing is if they've been there that long, then there's a loyalty factor and hopefully they let you know what's the issue and they feel strongly enough to communicate with you. So you might have a little bit of advanced warning. This person's not necessarily happy and you, you hold on to it as long as you can, but you start looking because if it takes that long to find another qualified person, you know, you got to be ahead of the game. So it's, it's a different world than it was before. So if you're still trying to do the same thing as before, I don't, I don't. Well, I don't we have, we have people that communicate differently now too. I mean, we have generations in the workforce now that have grown up on technology and face-to-face -face communication is a bit of a challenge for a lot of them. I, I think <laughs> we'll have to do an episode on, on generational differences and oh, how it yeah. impacts the workplace. Oh, yeah. um, because you have a lot of people that, uh, again, very bright, very talented. But when it comes to communication, everything's been a text for most of their life, either in social media or, or back and forth to 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 their friends. I, I see it where, uh, you know, there's there could be three kids sitting at the table. They're not talking to each And you see occasional snickers or something. You know, it, it's the weirdest thing when, I guess, you're our age to to sit around a table and have complete silence, yet there's communication going on. But I think that's where also a lot of employees lose out because they aren't communicating in the way that their employees are being used to communicate, be communicated to. Now it's two way street. Those employees also have to learn how to communicate effectively through verbal communication and face to face stuff, not just via text or email. Well, they don't really use email. So I'd say text or social media. Um, 
challenges we all have to face in, in this changing dynamics of the business. Um, but I, I think we should probably wrap it up here. So I would say our consensus is that really Bidenomics is, is a fancy name. <laughs> it's got a lot of words in it and it's really not going to change much of anything because the policies are, well, the policies are unclear. I don't think they've really announced what the policies are exactly. Yeah. Um, but in the end, you still have to do your own thing. Yeah. And, uh, that's probably the best way to put it is worry about yourself. Don't worry about what the government or anyone else is doing. Take care of business. And, and that's if you're exactly struggling right. doing that, find somebody to help you work through it. Cause that's really what's going to make, make the difference here. Yeah. Uh, any parting thoughts, Rich, as, as we get ready to leave here? I think you, I hit, I think you hit the nail on the head right there that, you know, it's, you know, run, run your own race, do your own thing. You know, the government policies will change. They'll always change. Generally, they don't want to surprise anybody. So they change something and then they say it'll be implemented in six months. And there's other reasons for all of that. And so you can plan around it as it comes out. But for now, I think people really just have to, you know, keep going, understand that there are outside influencers like interest rates that you really need to, you know, keep in mind. But uh, otherwise, you know, keep doing what you're doing and you, you know, the other stuff will, will fall, will fall in and you, and you take care of it as it comes. Agreed. Agreed. Well, I think that wraps up another episode of books in the biz. Uh, for those of you who have been watching the live stream, this was our first live stream episode. Uh, you probably noticed that I have a bit of a, a lag going on. I think I'm, I'm talking in real time, but my my lips are moving as good ventriloquism. So uh, <laughs> those of you who listen to the audio on the podcast, that's going to be a different story. Hopefully it'll sound good. Uh, but other than that, find us on YouTube. Find us on, uh, we'll also be on various podcast uh, aggregators out there. You can find us on Apple and anyone. Please like and subscribe. That's how you will get the most current information dumped into your feed. And it also helps us out because it helps gain uh, awareness about what we're doing. And as always, if you got a question or you got some ideas, please send it our way. We'd love to sit here and, and talk about it, maybe give some suggestions how we can help you out. So with that said, this has been Books in the Biz. We're closing out another Thursday. Enjoy your summer and we will see you next week. See you next week.